This episode of the Security Ledger podcast is sponsored by Pondurance. Pondurance delivers world-class managed detection and response services to industries facing today's most pressing and dynamic cybersecurity challenges, including ransomware, complex compliance requirements, and digital transformation accelerated by a distributed workforce. Pondurance experts include seasoned security operations analysts, digital forensics and incident response professionals, and compliance and security strategists who provide always-on services to customers seeking broader visibility, faster response and containment, and more unified risk management for their organizations. To learn more, visit them at pondurance.com. That's P-O-N-D-U-R-A-N-C-E dot com. Hello and welcome to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's podcast, sponsored by Pondurance. If you have the natural distraction that a kinetic event, like an earthquake, a flood, a fire might offer, you're going to see the bad actors swoop in to try to take advantage and, and exploit people or, or systems when the guard is down or when they're looking the other way. The last 18 months have been unlike anything in recent memory. The COVID pandemic has shuttered entire economies, killing millions, sickening hundreds of millions, and confining billions of people to their homes. The pandemic has been a boon for some legitimate businesses like supermarkets, video streaming services, and online retailers. It has also been a boon for cyber criminal groups, however, who have used the disruptions caused by COVID to help worm their way onto sensitive networks. 2021 has seen a gradual return to normalcy. Students are back in the classroom. Sports fans are crowding stadiums. Some workers are even returning to the office. And many of us hope that 2022 continues that trend. What does the next year have in store for us? To help answer that question, we invited Ron Pelletier into the Security Ledger Studios. Ron is the founder and chief customer officer at the firm Pondurance. Ron says that despite the disruptions in the last 18 months, there's plenty of reason for optimism in 2022, but many challenges remain, from disruptions caused by natural disasters to the increasing complexity of network environments comprised of both on-premises and cloud-based assets. I asked Ron to talk about one of his predictions for 2022, which is that companies are going to need to go back to the drawing board to address the challenges posed by extended networks. Ron Pelletier, I am the founder and chief customer officer for Ponderance. Ron, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's great to have you. Great to be here. We've been doing, uh, we've been talking to Pondurance this month, and it's great to have you on because, as you just told us, you founded Pondurance. And I thought to start off, maybe we're coming into October, coming into Q4, and obviously everybody's thoughts kind of start to turn to the new year and what might be waiting for us around the corner, especially these days, given that the last year and a half has been such a such a roller coaster ride and and so different, I guess. At a high level, I think many of us are hoping that 2022 starts to look a little bit more normal. Maybe not. And you've done some thinking about what the new year might hold, what's coming down the road in the future. So I thought if it's okay with you, we, we might kind of go over some of your thoughts and predictions. So let's start with the first one. Um, you, you feel like uh, organizations um, are going to need to, as you say, go back to the risk management drawing board. Um, talk about what you mean by that. I think that's a, I tend to agree with that, but what do you mean by that? 
Yeah, I think that there's been an introduction of a lot of different technologies as of late. You know, technologies that claim to solve complex problems. And I think that a lot of people have gravitated toward that as, as part of sort of a, you know, a panacea or something that's going to, you know, be uh, that, that elixir that's going to solve the problems. And it's left a lot of organizations wanting um, and, and still vulnerable in, in a lot of cases when there's this sole dependence on technology. And so, you know, not only that, but now you've got these extended networks. So it used to be, I could draw for a client, let me draw uh, a network diagram that starts with neat concentric circles, like your data is in the middle, surrounded by an infrastructure component with another outer circle that's your perimeter. Well, unfortunately, now uh, an extended network looks more like a sea mine, right? It's got these protrusions that are out, any of which could detonate and create uh, a lot of havoc for the organization. So I think organizations taking stock of that now and really stopping to think, what does my extended network look like now? I can no longer rely on risk transference where maybe I introduced a third party to help offload you know, some of this risk. The reality is as a covered entity or the equivalent of, I am still responsible, culpable, you know, accountable for, for how this information is processed, stored, transmitted, no matter where it is in my in my network chain. And so I have to now step back and take a look at how am I going to harmonize all of these technologies, all of these procedures? How am I going to incorporate these vendors that I have working for me? And and you know, moving away from that fragmentation and this tactical approach, and hopefully moving more toward a strategic approach that can incorporate uh, and better assimilate all of these different components. So that now we have a better handle and can really then lend to a, a more um, structured or, or better use of, of resources and, and budgeting. Indeed, indeed. And that I think that ties in nicely with your next prediction, which is that hybrid workplaces, so uh, workplaces in which some people are there in person, others are there remotely, and there's probably kind of a shifting population of you know, in the office, out of the office workers, you think that that's more or less going to be uh, a permanent fixture and the next frontier for cybersecurity. Talk about that. It really is. So so here's what we've seen in the past, right? Pre-COVID, we've got the majority of people, and, and again, there are always exceptions, but the majority of people that are working from an office location where you might have the protection of a corporate network, you know, COVID comes along, people are now working from home, that entirely shifts like a seesaw. Now everything goes toward uh, more, we have people working at home uh, than at the office. And so all of the the controls really shifted more uh, toward, you know, that type of protective posture. Now that things are settling a little bit, we, we've got this hybrid where we've got an equal amount of people working from home as we do people working from the office. And that's going to be the new normal. So there has to be this level setting of control that covers both the people at the office as well as people at home. And so that's something that organizations were were asking them to make sure you're very cognizant of uh, to, to account for that so that you're not going one way or the other in, in you know, too far a fashion. How, how well prepared do you think most organizations are to secure that type of environment? 
I think that there's a growing um, competency, or, or I should say, uh, maturity. You know, with that, I think that now uh, everyone's on the lookout for risk. Right? What else can happen? In fact, I always joke to say, "Geez, the the, the only thing that could could surpass what's happened in the last." 18 months is an alien invasion. So, you know, how do you prepare for that? Um, uh, so, so we really have to just take into consideration that balance. But I think companies are moving toward that. It's just be careful not to find yourself gravitating toward one place or the other. It's a good point. And, and of course, Ron, as you know, the aliens are already here, right? <laughs> That's right. They are among us. <laughs> if, you watch your, if you've been watching your Amazon UFO documentaries, <laughs> as I have. Um, so next prediction is, is a really interesting one, and I hope you're right on this, which is that, the, that governments, uh, including, I'm guessing, the U.S. government, are going to start putting the squeeze on cyber syndicates. And I'm guessing by cyber syndicates, you mean some of the ransomware groups and other organized cybercrime groups who are causing so much uh, trouble and disruption these days, a dark side, revel, and the like. Yeah, I, you know, I think that while uh, a lot of these bad actors, they enjoy the protection of anonymity across uh, the, you know, cyberspace, our law enforcement is, is at least getting more, um, I, I guess, more in tune with what some of those tactics and techniques are. So, you know, we're not going to see, um, you know, one takedown after the other, but I think we're going to see uh, you know, some lessons learned that have been applied within law enforcement, um, and active uh, participation from the community, um, and, you know, really focus that's going to, you know, lend to, uh, you know, hopefully more arrests. But, you know, the, the thing we want to caution everyone on is that, you know, this this sense of, you know, what we want to make sure everyone's cautioned about is that vacuum gets filled quickly. So once one bad actor or group organization gets taken down, man, there's another one, a splinter group or, you know, some hybrid that that's ready to uh, fill that vacuum. So, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunately an ongoing battle. Um, so we're going to see successes, but we're still going to see uh, an ongoing fight. Yeah, and we see that all the time with you know uh, ransomware groups that uh, d- that you know announce that they're you know pulling up stakes and closing up shop, and then you know a matter of days or weeks later, they you know, they they basically relaunch or some some subset of them have have relaunched with a new with a new name and you know sometimes new tooling, sometimes not. You know, it's just this kind of whack a mole game, um, but more PR than substantive changes in the threat landscape for organizations. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I think it's um I think that the focus has been on maybe trying to get some of these governments that are looking the other way at this activity to take it more seriously. But I don't know about you, I, I kind of feel like that's a dead end. That that trying to leave this to diplomats to resolve is probably not going to do the job. You know, you're going to need to send some some virtual gunboats out there to uh, to you know patrol the waterways, as it were. <laughs> right. One of the things you 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 see coming in in 2022 is that um, one of the um, kind of uh, most salient sort of um, cybersecurity frameworks right now, which is um, the cybersecurity, the CMMC, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, which is something that is specific to Department of Defense contractors. You see that expanding beyond the Department of Defense. Do you mean just to the federal government in general, kind of in keeping with some of the Biden administration's initiatives, um, or even extending out into the private sector to non-government contractors. 
I think we're going to see a very wide expansion. I think government pressure among organizations is certainly going to drive some of that. And you know, thank goodness the government we're here to help, right? Or they're they're there to help, so that's uh, always good. But uh, um, you know, what we have though, and you is, say that from Indiana, uh, no less. That's impressive, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, but what we have is you know, there's going to be this sense of of expectation of due care uh, for organizations outside of the Department of Defense to maintain a, a, a very healthy and mature cybersecurity posture, meaning that it's no longer okay, you know, for this to be optional. You know, if you're going to do business in cyberspace and you have partners that, remember, we go back to that risk drawing board where, uh, you know, we've got people that want to know who is touching my data, who has access to it, where am I vulnerable? You know, there's going to be an expectation that you have to now step up and make some level of assertion or provide assurance that you are um, set up you know, to, to, to handle that appropriately and, and do what's right. So I do think that there's going to be an expectation more driven in the private sector by customers of service providers. And do you think CMMC is a good, is a good mo- I mean, there are all kinds of you know, security yeah, frameworks. Yeah. You, th- you think CMMC is a good one? I think it is because it's not foreign, right? This isn't something that was dropped in with foreign concepts. Fortunately, all of these uh, types of regulations, they rhyme in, in, in one way uh, or another, right? Everything's ultimately mapped back to NIST standards, you know, particularly the cybersecurity framework, which is our favorite baseline because you can draw from that and create an entire security program that is uh, very complementary and, and interlocking. Um, and CMMC does provide a uh, a basis for that. It's, you know, a bit more prescriptive, but that's okay. You know, there, there needs to be some level uh, of prescription so that organizations know what standards to put in place and what's expected. You're listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by Pondurance. Next prediction, um, Ron, for 2022 that you're making is that cloud customers, and that's pretty much everybody these days, um, are going to be looking to manage detection and response solutions for greater protection. And this has been a, you know, th- this movement to uh, the cloud has been really pronounced in the last 18 months. You know, digital transformation kind of got a, a rocket strapped to it with COVID and the need to, um, you know, again, kind of bash down that that uh, corporate firewall and extend uh, applications and access out to a very distributed workforce. Uh, obviously, that played to the strengths of cloud. Um, but there are risks as, with cloud as well. And you think uh, MDR might become a bigger part of the picture. Um, talk, talk about that. Yeah. So we're not seeing just a partial movement to the cloud. We're seeing entire you know, networks, entire environments moving to the cloud now. And so, you know, where it may have been a fragment or a sliver of cloud computing, again, we're seeing that that full movement. So it becomes important for strategies to incorporate that. You know, remember that that whole extended network uh, I talked about. It was pretty easy to develop a, a solution, you know, at least, you know, put the pieces in play to be in a position to monitor uh, an environment like that. But when you're talking about the cloud, you're talking about uh, all these virtual systems that are, you know, in, in some way, at least physically commingled, right? But now you've got, you know, this, this segmentation that we have to somehow plug into, in addition to what is back maybe at the home network. People still have to plug in at the office or dial in from home and they have to go somewhere. So, yeah, I think that you're going to see the need, you know, to make sure that, you know, cloud coverage is appropriate from a monitoring and, you know, overall threat uh, mitigation and response perspective. 
We've certainly seen on the, on the threat side, I mean, we, we're definitely seeing a lot more attention being given to uh, cloud-based infrastructure, whether it's, you know, uh, Active Directory Federated Services, ADFS, or, you know, Office 365, you know, Azure, Active Directory, you know, these kind of foundational cloud systems seem to be getting the attention not only of companies, but also of the bad guys. Um, from the MDR provider standpoint, how do you get a like holistic sense of, you know, what's going on when you have so many sort of siloed cloud providers? You know, you've got the Salesforce cylinder and you've got the Slack cylinder and you've got the Microsoft cylinder and like, and yet you want to, you want to try and monitor across all of them. Yeah. It comes back to knowing where to point, knowing where to put uh, you know, your, the technology and, and have your analysts look. And so looking uh, at that extended network, making sure you take stock of where everything is. So doing that data flow becomes really uh, important. So this is tied back to that first, you know, prediction about customers going back to the risk management drawing board. Let me make sure I understand the inputs and outputs, where everything is going, how it's flowing, how it's being transmitted, how it's being stored at rest. Is it encrypted? Does it need to be you know, encrypted. So, you know, how do I make sure I get my eyes in the right place so that I can, in fact, you know, make sure that I'm monitoring this on a, on a go forward basis. It's not an easy exercise. So when you've got these, you know, these, these, these cloud in environments, uh, you know, being able to work in and incorporate and, uh, and see what's going on there. In addition to everything else, it's going to present a challenge, but you know, it's not unworkable. You just have to do a little bit more diligence. Your next prediction uh, for 2022 Ron, uh, humans are going to matter more than ever in the new year. I guess that's a good thing to, to think about. <laughs> but uh, how do you see how do you see that in particular in the context of cybersecurity? Oh, you know, I uh, I once read a book by by Brian Minnick, who uh, who founded the company that was Morphic uh, Security out of, out of Cincinnati. And you know, I've even talked to Brian before and told him I'm going to use this quote. But you know, one of the things he makes uh, a pronouncement about is that. You know, in order to counter humans, we need humans because humans are our adversary and we need to think like humans. If we rely on technology, then humans are always going to circumvent that technology to get to what they want to, uh, to do. And so, you know, putting an over-reliance on that, I think AI um, and even machine learning has been, I don't want to say overblown in such a negative pejorative sense, but it's, you know, it's certainly not resolved to what people may have thought that I can put AI out there and it's going to do everything. It's going to find all of these holes and, and solve my problems. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, it's very narrow, right? It's still program uh, programming and you need to think like a person because that's who your adversary is. So it becomes very important to facilitate that dynamic level of, of security, that intuition, you know, that, that this could be a miss and I'm going to look into it in this way. Right. I mean, it seems like machine learning and AI really good at certain discrete security tasks, particularly maybe kind of picking through loads of data and kind of, you know, extracting stuff that seems like it's meaningful, um, not at the point where you're going to be able to piece together sophisticated analysis of, of what's going on. That's right. I, I always say that, that um, you know, technology makes the human stronger. And if you think about what the military has done uh, over time, you know, they've built these platforms that, you know, like the, the F-35 or the emerging exoskeleton suit, um, you know, it's not devoid of the human. It's, it's enhancing the human capability. So, yes, it's, it's using technology to channel 
information and correlate it in a more effective way. But don't don't uh, you know not, d- not uh, replacing the human take the human element out of it, right? <laughs> So next next prediction, um, really interesting one for 2022, Ron, uh, natural disasters will bring increased or exacerbate cyber risk. I think that's a very interesting insight. Give us your thinking on that. Sure. I, we, we see bad actors as these tremendous opportunists and you have to hand it to them. You know, they, you know, they, they do their analysis too and figure where can I increase the chances of my success, you know, for what I want to do. So if you have the natural distraction that a kinetic event, like an earthquake, a flood, a fire, um, you know, something like that might offer, or in this case, you know, that happened recently, the freezing temperatures in, in Texas that wreaked havoc uh, on infrastructure, you're going to see the bad actors swoop in to try to take advantage and, and exploit, um, you know, people or, or um, systems when the guard is down or when they're looking the other way. So yeah, I think that creatures of opportunity, um, they're going to certainly take advantage of those situations, look for those situations. And, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, um, that they won't be causing those situations in order to create that diversion. So, you know, it's, it's unknown, but, but that's a real factor. We've interviewed Molly John of, of DARPA and, and um, University of um, Wisconsin, who's an expert on kind of cyber risk in agriculture. And she often talks about the the ability of attackers to make cyber attacks coincident with natural disasters like hurricanes or flooding or so on. So that, you know, kind of timing your attack at, at a point at which you know the people expected to respond to that attack are going to be distracted by other things, you know. But uh, I think you're right, and I think uh, I think we'll see that, and not just in agriculture, but other other industries as well. Perhaps related to your uh, observation about natural disasters and cyber risks, uh, your your other prediction, your next prediction for 2022 is that cyber insurance is going to be harder to come by. And I think you're probably right on that. But expand on your thinking on why uh, cyber insurance might be a little bit harder for companies to uh, to line up. <laughs> it, it it will. So you can imagine that with the the total uh, number of attacks and the dollar amounts that have been involved, that I think the insurance industry, um, you know, looked at this as a product to say, hey, this can be uh, something that uh, we can put forth and it can be a profit center. And I don't mean to say that in, uh, you know, they didn't do the right analysis. The reality is, is that, hey, you know, there, there was no way to really tell, uh, you know, how this would affect things. And so now you have a lot of insurance companies that have been bitten, and they now need to be more discerning about who's insurable. If you're not doing at least some of the minimum due diligence uh, or some of the minimum uh, you know, viable requirements, then we are no longer going to uh, underwrite you, or we're going to make it so expensive that uh, you may not be able to afford it anyway. Yeah, I mean, it seems like when cyber insurance first came along that the the sort of downside, the potential downside for the insurers was much smaller. You know, you were talking about disruption, business disruption and, you know, cost of, you know, investigating and, and kind of standing the, you know, the the hack systems back up and maybe, you know, uh, credit monitoring. But now with ransomware and destructive ransomware, all those costs just seem to really have amplified um, in ways that that maybe insurers didn't anticipate. Yeah, and I think you're going to see a trend that's starting to happen in Europe already, where insurance companies are going to say, uh, "By the way, we are no longer covering ransom payments." They're going to exclude that as part of the policy, and so you know that uh, could breed certainly a trend here uh, in the U.S. as well. 
Next prediction, you think in 2022, nation-state attackers are going to expand their use of disinformation as a, as a tactic in their operations. Explain, Ron, what you mean by that and, and how you think that's going to play out. I think that information certainly is, is a very powerful tool. It can be weaponized. It can be you know, used for the purposes of gain, uh, for the purposes of influence. And you know what, what I think, you know, we've seen some things play out where nation states have, you know, created situations. Now, I'm not going to go into any conspiracy theories, but you can only imagine that if they have that type of influence that they can shift a way of thinking, a way of acting, right, um, then it's only logical that if they wanted to create chaos, disruption, or uh, things like that, that they could very well do that. Um, and and people are, are dying to listen. You know, they want to, uh, you know, maybe hear some confirmations of their existing beliefs or, uh, and, and certainly can be exacerbated or, you know, something to that effect. And so I definitely think it's, uh, it's a very real risk. Indeed. I mean, we've, we've already seen the, the mischief it's caused just in the last, in the last year or so. Right. So, uh, so for sure. Final prediction, Ron, um, you think in 2022, we're going to start to finally see high schools and trade schools that start to incorporate uh, cyber training, cyber workforce training uh, into their curriculum. I really hope you're right. But what gives you confidence that we're going to see that? Uh, You know, we have to go there. We have this, you know, security is a scarcity business, right? I mean, there's so many roles that continue to go uh, unfilled. And the only way that we can accomplish that is by looking, you know, at the early stages of education, you know, really build a career path for some people that, you know, can take them down a path just like a trade, you know, would like a plumber or an electrician. Um, there is a need for technical resources in as much as there are for risk analysis folks or, you know, strategic thinkers. But specializing at an early age in something, uh, you know, like uh, you know, a, a technical, you know, skill that, that can lend, uh, you know, toward more cybersecurity proficiency is something that really is 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 going to happen. I mean, you you've got these these kids out there already that um, that want to learn, right? And there's free tools out there available. So let's get in front of them before they start experimenting in you know, in a bad way with uh, some of these tools. Um, and, and let's shape them for, you know, for the good uh, of what they can do. So there's a lot of skill. And here's the other exciting thing about this is I think this is going to allow the opening of doors for, uh, you know, classes of people that may not have been or had a chance, you know, to pursue a career in cyber, you know, security. And so, um, you know, we're very involved in, uh, you know, programs at the high school level for, um, you know, all, all, types of you know, different backgrounds and, and giving them an opportunity to see what cybersecurity is really about, getting them excited about that and showing, showing them that there's a career path for them. And, and that's very exciting. I really agree with you. And um, I hope to see evidence that you're right. I've been saying for a long time that uh, these are, there are good white collar jobs out there and socks and elsewhere for uh, people who don't, you know, don't necessarily need a, a four-year college degree to do the work. Um, and, and a really interesting career path for, for folks who, who are inclined that way. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Ron, um, really interesting thoughts on 2022. Any other kind of high-level takeaways or, or predictions for the new year? I mean, what do you, you think, you think things are going to, um, you know, 
uh, improve in 2022? Or are we just going to be be there battling on the front lines as always? <laughs> yeah, you know, Paul, I think it's it's going to be some of the same old, same old. Um, I think that the bad actors are going to get more uh, crafty and enterprising. As we build taller walls, they're going to get taller ladders. As we put wire above the walls, they're going to get an even taller ladder, or they're going to start tunneling underground, yeah. right? So it's going to be this. Have you ever played that game as a kid where you, you've got a baseball bat, right? And you try to put the hand on top of the other hand, you know, to see who can ultimately win by capping, you know, the, the, the baseball bat. So, you know, that's what we, we continue to see is this, uh, you know, this, 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 outdoing uh, each other from a red and blue uh, perspective. So we're going to see more of that. We're going to see uh, a lot more um, uh, ingenuity, a lot more tech, you know, that's used to facilitate uh, attacks just as we're seeing it, you know, for defense. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what holds for, for 22. Ron Pelletier, founder and chief customer officer at Pondurans. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger podcast. Great. Thank you, Paul. You've been listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by Pondurance. Pondurance delivers world-class managed detection and response services to industries facing today's most pressing and dynamic cybersecurity challenges, including ransomware, complex compliance requirements, and digital transformation accelerated by a distributed workforce. Pondurance experts include seasoned security operations analysts, digital forensics and incident response professionals, and compliance and security strategists who provide always-on services to customers seeking broader visibility, faster response and containment, and more unified risk management for their organizations. To learn more, visit them at pondurance.com. That's P-O-N-D-U-R-A-N-C-E.com. ecom